From WHQR Public Media, this is the Newsroom. I'm Ben Schachman. Thanks for joining us for special elections coverage of the Wilmington City Council and mayoral race. Later on today's show, we're speaking to Mayor Bill Sappho, who is running for an eighth term. But first, an interview with challenger Harper Peterson, himself a former Wilmington mayor as well as a former state senator. Harper, thanks for being with us. Good to be here. So a question we're asking just the mayoral candidates and not the city council candidates. Um, the mayor in Wilmington, not as powerful as maybe the mayor of New York or Chicago, but it still comes with a lot of extra responsibilities, uh, especially during emergencies and disasters. We've had no shortage of those over the last couple of years. But also in terms of speaking on behalf of the city. Why is the mayor's office important to you? And what would you do with it over the next two years that you couldn't do as a councilman? Well, the mayor, uh, for many people, is the face of the city. Uh, he represents the mood and opinion, uh, disposition of the city. Uh, he has the bully pulpit. Uh, he can speak on issues, whether he, he and the council have control or not over an issue. Uh, he has stature, presence, uh, and I think it's important that he speak on important issues to the community. If it's a hurricane or a crisis of crime or housing, uh, climate change, regardless, uh, he is a spokesman. He's looked up to, uh, looked at for a response and a position, uh, and I think that's important. It's always gone with that position, uh, and I can think of all the mayors that have served in my lifetime here uh, have been uh, appropriate spokesmen. Uh, and I defer to my, my uh, opponent, Bill Sappho. I think he's done a good job, a very good job. All right, let's get into the policies. Affordable housing has been on the radar, some would say, for too long, but Let's get right to it. What do you think should be done to address what I think we can call an affordable housing crisis? Well, we know that uh, there are over 10,000 housing needs in the affordable uh, income range. Uh, and what has the city done over the last 20 years? That's the time frame I look at. Uh, when I served on the city council and mayor in the 90s and early 2000, we put together an affordable housing coalition. We were committed to addressing this need for not only workforce uh, men and women, our citizens, but also those in lower income brackets and those that are homeless. I think that's important, essential for a complete, healthy community. What have we accomplished over that time? Uh, essentially nothing. Uh, again, I think we need a strategy uh, that has a timeline, that has resources attached, uh, that uh, is a public-private partnership, and we need to get busy with it because if we don't, within 10, 15 years, we won't be talking about affordable workforce housing. Uh, there won't be any. Uh, you and I and many other people will be living outside the city. The county will be pushed out. It also uh, bleeds into lower-income communities, our black community. Uh, we've seen uh, the impacts of redlining over the years, public and private policy, and uh, I see a reversal of that uh, redlining now in gentrification. Uh, there are good things and bad goods, things related to that. But again, now people are moving back into these traditional black neighborhoods and people are being pushed out. And I don't think that's the design we want when we talk about affordable workforce, livable, safe housing. In terms of the housing committee that's uh, working right now and the housing bond that's sort of in the works, how do you feel about that? I think it's a good start, but I don't think $50 million is going to even... Uh, put a dent in the need. I think we need to partner with the private sector. Uh, we are a rich, altruistic city. Uh, uh, 
rich in endowments, uh, and I think uh, we need, again, to raise that to at least $150, 200000000 million if we're really going to uh, take a serious stab at this. Uh, and obviously, there are many strategies and tools. I think we need to employ all of them, work with the state and federal government. Something that uh, a lot of people see as a related issue, public transportation. Um, as you know, WAVE has had its ups and downs. How would you approach public transportation in the city of Wilmington and beyond? Sure. I think it's a, uh, a viable uh, alternative to our automobile. I think uh, we as a city, a county, a region, uh, as a society in this part of the world, look at uh, public transportation uh, as an alternative for poor people, people that can't afford a car. And that's not true. Anyone you speak to outside uh, this part of the world will tell you that it's an ab- a viable and safe alternative. And I think we need to intru- reintroduce that uh, and implement uh, first fund. I think uh, we have to fund our uh, WAVE program. And it has to be not only a city, county, but a regional uh, strategy. Um, so I'll work towards that end. We have a good staff in place. Won't look back. There's been some trips along the way. But looking forward, it has to be a viable alternative. We can't build more roads. There's not money. There's not room, space. Uh, our environment won't, won't take, you know, withstand it. So, again, I think uh, reintroduce the idea. And that doesn't mean everyone has to get out of their car. But if we're going to address the uh, traffic issues, the congestion, and the safety, then we have to have a viable, robust public transportation system. And how do you feel about the uh, the quarter cent sales tax proposal that's on the again that's a good start uh but again we need to get serious about this uh <laughs> a lot of challenges it, probably the primary reason i'm running uh, again I, I sense a, a complacency in our community uh, and we kind of just bump along well there's some real issues facing us first i want to i want to <clears throat> touch on public safety okay. um broad disagreement on this depending on who you ask but from your point of view what, if anything, would you change about the Wilmington Police Department? I think that, uh, Chief Williams is uh, doing a great job, uh, and I think his his staff up and down uh, is buying into his approach. Uh, and it's, it's a, a form of community policing. He's there first and foremost to enforce the law, protect every citizen, and I think he's doing that. He came up through the system. He knows the system here that he inherited. He knows the community, and I think that's essential. So I fully support him. And, I've, you know, any discussion of defunding is not on the table. That's, you know, I don't think anybody really thinks that's a viable alternative. Enhancing what they're doing uh, is, is my, my priority, helping, helping him out and the staff, encouraging them uh, and, you know, rewarding them for a good job protecting our community. So you, you already got to a couple of our potential follow-ups, but I do want to ask, um, what could the city do to support WPD more along those lines? Well, I think, uh, obviously, the chief is concerned about our youth uh, on street corners uh, standing idly, and that's a recipe for for crime and violence. Uh, We need to, as Veronica Brown and her Love Our Children uh, so aptly expressed, that is the solution, Uh, a generational continuum of support, uh, mentorship with our children as they grow up from the birth, from the cradle, right through preschool and elementary, high school, into the workforce. Uh, we need to be there and invest in that. Uh, my simple answer, though it's, I don't want to overstate it, it's a simple answer, is that my solution for crime and violence is a paycheck. And if you frame that with a nurturing uh, community, taking care of all our children, I think the word our, that pronoun is essential, 
uh, then I think we'll succeed. But it has to take place over a generation. Now, there are quick fixes, obviously. We can throw money at the problems. But for a sustainable solution in a healthy community and a decrease in crime, then I think that's the approach we have to take. We're going to get to economic development in a second, which I think ties into that. But first, I want to ask about the other kind of development, uh, the one we're running out of room to do. How much influence or constraint do you think the city should have over development? Ben, I've been here living in this community for 50 years now. I served 20, 25 years ago. I have a, a not a unique, but a, a different perspective than some folks that have been here for a shorter amount of time. I've seen what we have done successfully and what we haven't in terms of good development, protecting our natural resources, protecting those citizens that live here, protecting traditional neighborhoods. So I think uh, the uh, success, well, not success, but the initiative to update our land development code after 40 years of resting on that development code, how you build a community and how it impacts the existing community. That's a good first step. But I'm very concerned, and I have expressed this to the city and the staff, that the stormwater regulations that are built into this are not in reality. I mean, we are experiencing more frequent and extreme storms. Whether they're frequent or not, they're more extreme, more rainfall. Uh, and how do we address that in terms of how we build? Uh, we're basing it through these regulations as stated uh, on the hydrology on a two, a 10, or a 25-year storm. And, and that's antiquated. We know now that 100-year and 500-year storms are normal, uh, seasonal. We know that high tides are now uh, bi-monthly. Uh, they're sunny day tides. Uh, sea level rise is real. Uh, we need to address that with our land development code, and I don't see that. I, don't, I also don't see an emphasis on public transportation and how you build and design. Uh, I, don't see how you, I don't see how you introduce uh, renewable energies and the advent of EV, electric vehicles. Uh, and again, I think it's a work in progress. Like I said, it's a living document, as people like to say. But again, it cannot be defined and signed and sealed by December 1st. This should be an ongoing uh, experience and I hope to uh, promote that, uh, that review, that interaction with the community, not just city council members and staff, but the community at large. Because I think at the end of the day, we all care about this sense of place. It's an emotional tie. And there's an uneasiness that things are changing dramatically too quickly around us. So, Fair enough. Um, so one other aspect of development, and that is public-private projects. So these are things like the River Place Project, uh, the city's collaboration with Live Nation for the riverfront venue, and the proposed gateway project on North 3rd. How do you feel about these? Well, I, I've expressed opinions in the past. <laughs> so I, I can review those. Uh, the city place, I believe, uh, originally, you know, 20 years ago, that was designated as the, as the city's central park, the public gathering place, uh, surrounded by business and residents, a downtown, like a central park. Uh, it's something else today. I'll leave that at, okay. Uh, the riverfront park, the uh, Live Oak Pavilion, uh, it's, it's, it's a wonderful uh, you know, marquee for the city. Uh, but $35 million and running with all revenues going back specifically, exclusively into that park and not the surrounding community, whether it's the neighborhood on the north side or throughout the city, concerned about that. Also, the $35 million, that proportion versus, like 
some of our other neighborhood parks uh, and again uh, Portia Hines is a perfect example finally anteed up $700,000 parks should be a place for gathering for, for friendships making new friendships for families to feel comfortable and safe and on a Saturday or Sunday drive by Empey Park or Halliburton Park and see the activity the community gathering the spirit and they ride by Portia Hines what do you see maybe two or three people, and, uh, and that's it. And we need to change that. All right. Well, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we will have more questions for Harper Peterson, who is looking to unseat longtime mayor Bill Sappho. You're listening to special elections coverage on The Newsroom. Stay with us. To the newsroom. I'm Ben Schachman, and you're listening to special elections coverage from WHQR Public Media. Up now, more questions for challenger Harper Peterson, who is running for the mayor's office. Harper, before the break, you mentioned the solution for crime is a paycheck. How do you see the city's role in economic Understand when I say paycheck, I mean a good paying job. I know, yes, obviously. Okay. The, just I might be, just get a job. That's not the Working way. at Food Lion will not stop you. No. From going down that path, I totally understand. Okay. Um, okay. A good paycheck. Mm-hmm. So, what's your what's your approach to that? Getting a good paycheck into those pans. Well, uh, someone said maybe you've heard this. Uh, you know, in ten years, uh, six of the ten jobs uh, don't exist today, uh, and I think uh, that has a lot to do to the world changing. It might be electric vehicles. It might be climate change, resiliency, adaptation to the weather, the world we live in. Uh, might be a re-emphasis on conservation, uh, trees, uh, landscaping, weatherization, uh, education, recreational opportunities. I see the uh, Eagle Island Nature Park as a perfect example of an opportunity to infuse new job opportunities for our youth, a career path forward. I'm a big fan, as many people are, of Roosevelt's uh, Civilian Conservation Corps. So let's let's dig deeper and find out what jobs are going to be essential to our society, our community here in South, Southeast, Eastern North Carolina. This is purported to be one of the most diverse ecosystems in the world. People come not just to the beach in downtown, but for many other attributes. And I think we can build an economy, build jobs there. The other thing is I think it's finally time to address the disparities on the north side in the black population. Also, the east and south side. The geographic area is bigger than the north side. But again, if we're going to truly address our history, come to grips with 1898 and the fact that we stole the wellness, the wealth, and the constitutional rights of part of our population, over 50%, we need to come to grips and and make restitution for that. And that I see as a path for economic development, an opportunity to truly pull up this community on equal level uh, equal level playing field and it will affect everything in terms of access to health education jobs housing but we need to get serious about it we talk about it it's gradualism let's get serious the time is now we have the richness the wealth the altruism let's get the job done to your point what would restitution look like to you what could the city do that would look like restitution 
Well, I would like to work with the private sector, obviously with the city council and staff, the private sector, the, the, the great uh, nonprofit agencies we have now on the ground doing great work. I could go down the list from kids making it to dreams to, to voyage to step up with, on and on and on. Great efforts. I'd like to pull all those together, allow their autonomy. But I think if we introduced an economic project, stimulus, investment, strategic investment in the north side and really provide black investment, black job training primarily, it doesn't have to be exclusive, uh, reinvestment in that community, I think that would be a major step forward. There is an opportunity to really make an anchor, a, a transformational change on the northeast and south sides uh, and all the areas that we, you know, we try to address, pay lip service to, it's time to get it right. Are there any other issues, social issues, harassment, discrimination, equity, that you think the city should be more or less involved in? Well, uh, just recently they passed uh, a uh, discrimination uh, ordinance, uh, and a lot of concern that it wasn't strong enough, wasn't uh, universal or comprehensive enough. And again, it's, I don't want to criticize this city. I think this is a great city. We do great things. But sometimes we take a back seat or we follow what other cities do in this state, in this country, whether it's housing or crime or you know, uh, nourishment. You know, I think we need to step up and be a leader in this, uh, in this arena. Uh, and every citizen is, should have equal uh, opportunity and have respect. Uh, and I think that's uh, a struggle that we continue with. Uh, again, I think uh, hopefully we will revisit this uh, non-discrimination ordinance uh, and make it whole. Uh, and again, I don't see any barriers in our way. I know the legal department of the city has. I don't. We need to step out, whether it's here. Uh, some people ask me, I don't want to get off target, so just shake your finger at me. But with regard to Gen X. Uh, well, let's go, let's go right to that. So it's another crisis unfolding right in front of us. As you've said in the past, the house is on fire. Um, what, what else do you think the city could do about environmental concerns? Well, uh, one reason, probably the principal reason I ran to, for the Senate was to, to make uh, change. And I think uh, collectively the efforts of not only the legislature, uh, but the private sector and, and uh, nonprofits have made an impact. They're paying attention now, not only to this issue of clean water, clean air, but also climate change. They may use different language, but they're tuned in. Uh, and when we talk about Gen X, we can talk about thousands of harmful chemicals in our water supply. Uh, I haven't seen the city do anything on the, in the low-income populations in terms of water quality. Uh, a lot of people can't afford the RO system that you just poured a glass for me from in the, in the, uh, in the low-income community, the populations of blacks and Hispanics. We should be helping them out. Uh, I would encourage Cape Fear Public Utility to do likewise. This is poison. It's toxic. There's toxin in our air, methyl bromide. Uh, we know that coming out of fumigation practices on the state port. There's coal ash, um, you know, heavy metals in, uh, in our water from the, uh, the power plant, uh, Sutton Power Plant. I mean, that's real. We know that Wilmington is the highest uh, over the last 20 years, the hotspot for thyroid cancer, especially in young ladies, young women, uh, because of exposure uh, to this chemical. Uh, when you look around at all the plants around the state, there's a tick uh, that goes up and down uh, with these coax plants that we're now you know, decommissioning. But again, those are things that we need to, to be aware of. 
to that end, I think the city now is big enough that we need our own Department of Environment and Sustainability. And when I say environment, we need the expertise on staff to work with not only these nonprofit groups, but also the industries and communicate with our, our public officials, uh, not only in the city council, and, but also throughout the community to be aware of the dangers that we faced if we don't change our practices and encourage others. Now, what can the mayor do? He can use his bully pulpit. He can use his stature and his influence to represent the, the citizens as you let in with. I think that's important. Uh, and when I was in Raleigh, many people came from local municipalities and spoke before subcommittees, and, uh, and that was important because they do listen. Uh, politics aside, uh, we've made some progress with Gen X uh, through the consent order, pressure there. We've made progress with coal ash. Obviously, we've seen a dramatic you know, investment in that. And now we see a dramatic over a billion dollars in investment in climate change and the destructive nature of that. Uh, you forget politics, rural, urban, suburban. I mean, it's real. And the risk assessment, assessment has got to be uh, uh, at the top of the list for everyone. I mean, our community is between the river and the ocean, so... It's unique. I mean, I've uh, talked to Captain Bragg from the battleship. He, he has to live with and now has to budget for uh, rebuilding his parking area. Every time it floods, people can't park. His business, you know, is injured. That's on a regular basis. That's, that cost is real, and that's going to be spreading throughout the community. We know it is in the rural areas especially. We know the beach communities are, are facing storm, you know, uh, flood surge and everything related to it. So... Uh, again, a great opportunity to find out what those six jobs are that we're going to have in 30 years. And I think a lot of the majority of those are going to be involved with adaptation and resiliency and sustainability with our natural environment. Uh, what do we need, the city and the county and the state, what do we need in terms of workforce? So there's a great opportunity there. Yeah. All right. Last question. Big picture. It's November 2nd comes and goes. You win the election. You're the mayor of Wilmington two years later. What would you like to have seen changed? Well, everything that we've discussed that I've, I've stated are my primary issues of concern, uh, beginning with growth and development. Uh, we cannot continue to fill this lifeboat uh, unless we have the infrastructure to support it. We know the roads can't do it. Stormwater, management of flooding, our infrastructure, not only stormwater, but water and sewer is important. Not only water quality, but also water quantity. Our, our you know, resources are dwindling. So I'd like to make an impact there and get the building community on board and the business community on board. We can still be a very vital and robust community economically. Second is climate change. Uh, I think we're addressing that, but you know, I know that the city has a uh, solar or clean energy advisory uh, task force. Haven't seen where that's going, but. It looks at what we're going to, how we're going to address clean energy. I mean, transitioning from fossil fuels to renewables, whether it's solar or wind uh, and th or thermal. But uh, you know, it's only focused on the city's uh, use of energy. Two percent of the use of energy in this community is through the city. The rest of it is just encouragement to follow suit, uh, to to use better practices, and you know making that transition. We also have to work with Duke Energy. I mean, at the end of the day, they hold the cards uh, and they have to come across and transition out of natural gas and fossil fuels into the new arena of, of renewables. And the last is racial justice, economic and social equity. 
long overdue, 120 years. It's our history. We need to address it in a meaningful, sustainable, lasting way. And I think this community is ready for it. Every indication uh, leads to that. Let's leave it there. Uh, Harper Peterson, candidate for mayor of Wilmington, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the opportunity. All right. Well, after the break, we will hear from Mayor Bill Sappho. You're listening to special elections coverage on The Newsroom. Please stay with us. the newsroom. I'm Ben Schachman, and you're listening to special elections coverage from WHQR Public Media. I'm here now with Wilmington Mayor Bill Sappho, who is running for an eighth term. Bill, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for having me. So to start, I want to talk about the actual office of the mayor. Um, It might not be quite as powerful as the mayor of New York or Chicago, but it comes with a lot of responsibility. Um, especially during emergencies and disasters. And we've had no shortage of those. Absolutely. Recently. Uh, but also in terms of, you know, speaking for the city. Yeah. So let me ask, why is the mayor's office important to you? And what would you do with it over the next two years that, you know, someone couldn't do as a councilman? Well, I think first and foremost, the mayor is in a unique position. He's actually the spokesperson for the city and speaks for, on behalf of the city council and the policies that we adopt and that we pass and the plans that we adopt and, and, and work on. In addition to that, you're right, in, in natural disasters, I mean, I'm the face of the city and also working with all of our partners at the federal, state, and local level to bring resources to the community in the aftermath of a storm. But more importantly, the, the office of the mayor also is, you have to be a consensus builder. Um, I'm, I'm working with six other individuals on the city council. Everybody has different thoughts and ideas about different things and when they're elected, they run on different platforms. But at the end of the day, you try to incorporate their ideas, their thoughts, their wants uh, for the citizens that, 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 that they feel that they support and try to in, in, in put them into a policy that makes sense for the entire city. We all run it at large. So we don't run it districts. So we're running for, you know, based over the entire city. So we represent all of the city of Wilmington and all the citizens of, of the city, and they all have different needs and wants in different parts of the community. So I think it's important to be a consensus builder, and I've tried to do that. I, obviously, we're going to have our debates and we're going to have our disagreements, and I think that's a good thing because that means people are thinking and people bring different ideas to the table, and I think that's a good thing. But at the end of the day, the citizens of the community, especially at the local level, especially as a mayor and a city council, the people want us to get things done. And that's what I try to do is work with all of our council members and all of our elected leaders in, in all facets of, of government uh, to work on public policy that's best for the community and best for the citizens of Wilmington. All right. Well, on that note, let's get into the policies. Sure. Uh, first up, uh, because this is probably the one we receive the most calls and emails about, uh, affordable housing. Mm-hmm. It's been on the radar, some people would say, for, for far too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously the city is in the middle of some ways of dealing with it. But where do you want to see the efforts to deal with the affordable housing crisis go next? Well, I think that the city this year been put the largest amount, appropriated the largest amount of money in, in the city's history of $5.2 million. And over the last 10 years, we've appropriated $17.8 million. But the city's had an affordable housing program since the mid-1990s. We're the only government, local government, that, that has done so. We've been talking about this issue for quite some time, and we've also asked our um, you know, counterparts at the county and at the state, 
we need help. So by working together, we were able to bring in the county into the fold and create a coalition, a housing coalition, to give us some significant recommendations as to what we could do as a community to put more affordable housing units out there because I don't think the city can do it all by itself, not to meet the demands and the needs for the community in, in, in the next 10 years. Plus the fact is that the vast majority of vacant land that is left is located in the unincorporated areas of the county. They have something like about five or 6,000 acres left. So there's an opportunity there. Bringing them into the fold, making them part of this process, for them to take some public action and putting money into deals that we could all work together on, I think was a, was a huge win for all of us. I, we never had the county that stepped up to the plate, and I think that's important. Um, I think the other part of this is working with our nonprofit organizations that do a lot of work in the community day in and day out, uh, and, and they've built a lot of housing, the Wilmington Housing Authority, Habitat for Humanity, uh, WARM, and other agencies that are out there, and the, and the CHODOs that are out there. What the CHODO is, is is a nonprofit that helps to put affordable housing in place. But here again, we're scratching the surface based on the need that we, that we, that we're, that we really ha- have to have in this community. I think the other part of this is really talking with our legislative delegation in Raleigh to really step up to the plate to put more money into affordable housing, especially for tax credit fin- funding and financing, which I think is critically important. If we're really going to push the needle on this thing, we're really going to need the state to step up and also be part of this process. In addition to that, is also working with private developers that are in that business. I can tell you, since I have a real estate background, most people do want to build affordable housing because there's more people that need housing. Uh, but the issue goes back to is how do you incentivize it? How do you work with Um, the private sector to put more affordable housing units in place. In addition to that, one of the things that I'm very proud of of the city council was the decision that we made to invest money, um, taxpayers' money, in the unincorporated areas that were outside of the city limits because affordable housing is going to, a lot of it is going to happen in the county. And if we can partner with with the county and with private um, developers that will bring affordable housing, why not put it in those unincorporated areas? And we know a lot of those people that live in the county also work in the city because a lot of the job creation is within the city. And then, you know, the other issue is then looking at land trust or land grants where we can buy property and and, and in the foreseeable future maybe buy 100 acres or 200 acres of land where the city and the county could actually physically go out and buy the property and then turn it over to nonprofits for affordable housing units. We feel that, you know, you should have a mixture of housing into a development, not just affordable at 60% AMI or 40, whatever the case is, but we think that there should be a mixture of incomes in, in, in most of these developments. Sure. Uh, and so a related issue, at least for in the minds of a lot of people, um, public transportation. Mm-hmm. No secret that uh, WAVE has had its struggles. No mm-hmm. secret that there's been kind of an asymmetry in the support from the city versus the county. Mm-hmm. Um, where would you like WAVE to go next? Well, WAVE is going to need additional funding. That's The bottom line is, I mean, we've always been a strong supporter of WAVE. The city council has always allocated uh, or appropriated about $1.5 million to $1.4 million a year for, for WAVE uh, transportation. They get a certain percentage of their money from the federal government, the state government, and the local governments. And where we have had a, a, a disconnect is with the county not really stepping up to the plate to put the amount of money that we've been putting into it. And we've been making... A friendly argument with them is that, hey, if you're going to be a partner in WAVE, then let's be a partner and let's do this thing 50-50. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that would use the public transportation system 
if it was more efficient. Uh, and what I mean by efficient, instead of waiting 45 minutes for the bus, if, if head times were 15 minutes or less, I think a lot more people would use the bus as opposed to not use the bus. So that's one argument. The other part of it is that the university, which is one of our fastest growing entities um, at 18,000 students now, the, fa- the fast or the, the largest ridership increase has been with the university. And if we didn't have that transportation system, the Seahawk shuttle at, at the university, I don't know what we would do in regards to South College. I think it would be total gridlock because the university has cut out about a mile radius around the university where you can't bring in your, your, your vehicle. I would like to see the university push that, that radius out a little bit further to 1.5 miles to two miles. In addition to that, with the density that we have in our community, I think to, to get people around town, you need a good, efficient public transportation. So I'm very, very supportive of the initiative of, 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 of a, a strong wave system. I like the new director. I like the old director. But I think that um, I think that we've got some new ideas, new thoughts, and I think that uh, we'll get there. But here again, we need to have that partnership with the county. All right, totally different topic, mm-hmm. uh, but one we hear a lot about, mm-hmm. um, public safety. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking about the Wilmington Police Department. Mm-hmm. First, what, if anything, would you change about the police department if it was just up to you? And I know it's not. Well, first and foremost, um, those men and women that protect us do an excellent job. We have 150,000 calls for service every single year. That's not coming from the mayor. That's coming from the citizens that are picking up the telephone saying, we need help. We need the police department here. Um, I would, first of all, pay our police officers more than what we're currently paying them. And I think that that's something that we're going to have to review in the next year's budget is, is looking at the pay scale because we are losing officers to other communities that are paying more money. Um, I think that you need to always support your police department. Obviously, you need, to, you need to keep them accountable. And I think that Donnie Williams and his new policies and procedures that he's put in place um, is doing that. I think that we should also be as transparent as we possibly can. I was a strong supporter of, of um, videos in the car. I've been a very strong supporter of body cams and audio in the car. And I think that when you have that transparency, people have some assurance that police officers are not doing something that is going to violate their civil rights or take something away from them. And I think that, uh, for example, when I was first elected in 2003, one of the comments I got from citizens over and over again was the fact that they were getting stopped unwarrantedly. So once the cameras went into the car, if a citizen had an issue with the traffic stop, the chief would be, hey, you can come in, let's take a look at the video. If the police officer did something wrong, he's going to be reprimanded. You know, if you did something wrong, we're going to let you know what it was. I haven't had a call since then. So the the video in the car really helped a lot. Really getting the police officers out into the community getting to know the community, building the relationships with individuals in the community so that if we do have a crime, we're going to get the, the intel, the, the, the information needed to solve that crime. Our police officers and the chief will tell you this, people solve crimes. You can, there's only two ways to solve a crime. It's either the evidence that you're going to get on the scene or you're going to get the information from citizens that saw something. The good news is, and I'll say this, and although the perception is a little bit different, violent crime is down 20% right now. Uh, and our murder rate is half of what it was this time last year. We had 14 this time last year. We have seven today. Still too many. But I think that the chief is doing a tremendous job in getting out into the community and really engaging the community and also making certain that these police officers understand the history of the community, uh, understand the things that, that, that what, what people are fearful of, and, and hopefully having more of those discussions. And also this new program that he has that if an officer sees another officer doing something wrong, that officer can stop that particular other officer from doing that and not be reprimanded or something be taken against him. So, um, but our police department does a, a great job, and I'm, I'm very proud of, of this chief and Donnie Williams. So different topic, 
development. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned earlier, we're almost out of developable land Mm -hmm. in Wilmington. I think it's down to like 3%. Mm -hmm. But for that last 3%, you know, is there anything different you'd like to see the city do in terms of how it handles development as opposed to how it's done it over the last, say, decade? Well, I think the new land development code that we've been working on for four years with a lot of public input, a lot of citizens, you know, told us what they what they wanted. Uh, the new land development code has instituted what the citizens told us. They want more walkability. They want more protection of trees and natural assets. They want services closer to where people live so they don't have to drive three miles to a store and then three miles back, which is a six-mile round trip. And, and, and they want a better quality of life in the development and what the development looks like. I mean, some things, we're going to bring the, the, the buildings closer to the street with parking in the rear where we hide the parking from folks. Uh, we have to also take into consideration with the amount of rain that we get in this area and with the storm events that we have that you've got to have uh, better stormwater management. I think where, where we're heading, Ben, right now and from, from where I'm sitting right now is the city of Wilmington over the last 10 years went from 106,000 people to 123,000 people. It's been growing about 1.5% a year. But what we are witnessing, what we're feeling, all of us are, the tremendous amount of growth that is happening in the surrounding areas of Brunswick County and Pender County. For example, Leland grew at 67% and went from 13,000 to 22,000 people. Uh, I think that Bellevue grew at over 20%. Uh, New Brunswick County grew at 34%. Pender County grew at 20, New Hanover County grew at 15%. So you're seeing this significant amount of growth that's happening in the outlying areas, and we feel it every single day because a lot of people are driving into the city. The DOT gave me a statistic of about 50,000 people a day come into the city that are not residents of the city, but they're coming here for their jobs. Your biggest job creators, the hospital, the universities, uh, most of your companies, your high-tech companies, all here in the city of Wilmington, your film industry, a lot of it is here in the city of Wilmington. So we're feeling a lot of that growth. And I think there's got to be a a much better and broader conversation in regards to our regional efforts in regards to transportation, because the transportation initiatives that we're receiving down here are peanuts compared to other parts of the state. And I've been making the argument for quite some time that the Department of Transportation, because your major roadways in the city are owned by the state of North Carolina, they're not owned by the city. And I think there needs to be more capacity put into those road projects based on the population and based on the amount of people that are coming into the community every single day. But I I think we will probably have to be looking at another transportation bond within the next year or two because there are there are more needs and if we're not going to get the relief from the state we're going to have to step up to the plate and put more money into it plus the state is looking for opportunity to partner with cities and i also think that with new road projects i'm not talking about existing ones because i was adamantly opposed to the tolling of the memorial bridge because it was an existing 51 year old road and would be the only road in the state of north carolina that would have been taxed that way is but for new road projects new and with an alternative route that I think that you will be looking at at the possibility of of tolling options that we're going to have to talk about. Okay, well, we need to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more questions for Wilmington Mayor Bill Sappho. You're listening to special elections coverage on The Newsroom. Stay with us. Welcome back to the newsroom. I'm Ben Shockman, and you're listening to special elections coverage from WHQR Public Media. I'm here now with more questions for Wilmington Mayor Bill Sappho, who is running for his eighth term. So, Bill, before the break, you mentioned the job creation that happens in Wilmington. Mm-hmm. 
from your point of view, how would you like to see the city either continue or change the way it handles economic incentives and economic development in general? Well, I think on the economic incentives, I think that we have a pretty good handle on it. I mean, a lot of people think that we give the money up front. Economic incentives are based or performance-based. So if you tell me that you're going to bring a company to Wilmington, you're going to employ 100 employees in our community, you've got to make the investment first. You've got to hire the people, and then we have to justify and, and verify that you've hired those people to, before you get the incentive. I think that program is a pretty conservative program and has worked pretty well. I think we could be a little bit more aggressive in going out around this country and look for opportunities to bring more jobs in here. I think Wilmington Business Development does a, a, a tremendous job. They've brought a lot of jobs, especially to the Pender Park. I think we also have to think outside of the box a little bit in the respect that what Pender County did, they created Pender Park. They built a, an industrial park and brought a lot of employers into that park, and those employers are employing a lot of people. Not everybody's going to get a, a, a Vintech job or a high-tech job. We need jobs for all segments of our, of our community, and maybe even having to make an investment into maybe a, a light industrial park like Pinder did, which is now a roaring success. And now we're seeing Brunswick County doing the same thing on 7476. I think that's something that we need to definitely take a look at. When it comes to environmental concerns, mm -hmm. this has been front of mind for a lot of people since the Gen X story broke in 2017. Mm -hmm. Are you happy with the way the city is handling environmental concerns or are there other things you'd like to see the city do? Well, I think first and foremost on the on the Gen X issue, I was the first elected official that came out of that meeting, and I was one of the people that asked the question of, of Comores, did you put this Gen X, how long have you been putting Gen X into the river? And they told us for years. I was shocked when they said that. I, mean, I was sitting there with now EPA Secretary Regan, and he looked at me like, did I hear what they just said? I mean, I was furious. I came out of that meeting and I said they need to be shut down immediately. I was happy that the state went after them as hard as they did. I think the fine should have been higher. It was $12 million, which is the largest fine in state history at the time. I know they're making a lot of improvements to their facility there, but they haven't done enough. We're talking about a $42 million carbon filter program here, and I know the CFPUA is suing Comores. And I hope they win every dime of it because we, the users of, of that system, shouldn't have to pay to have to put those carbon filters in something that they, they did. The other thing that I've been very supportive of is environmental policy that we put together in regards to reducing the greenhouse emissions by 100 percent by 2050. In addition to that, I think because we live in a coastal community, in a coastal area, you want to protect your estuaries. That's why buffering is very important. I do support all of CAMA's efforts. I think the protection of trees. Although we have a 48% tree canopy when we did the evaluation, we get a lot of storms here. We lose a lot to development, yes, but we also lose a lot to storms that we, you know, several million cubic feet of, of debris from those. So we put a stronger um, emphasis on protection of trees and, and different types of trees. Uh, and it, it mirrors a little bit of the counties, but I think we went a little bit better than the county because we were hearing from that. In addition to that, we passed this tree initiative, but that's an initiative that I want to see every single year because I said the public realm, the public space should have more trees on it, and we have a responsibility, and we can do that ourselves. You know, I grew up in this community. I, I surfed here. I fished here. I love clean water. I want to be able to get on my beach and to be a clean beach. I don't want it to be like some of the beaches I've seen, especially up in the Northeast where you have some stuff that happens up there. One of our hallmarks as a community is our, is our environment here, and we've got to protect it. Last policy question. The city has been almost, you know, thrust into a, a number of social justice and cultural issues over the last couple of years. Diversity, equity, inclusivity, the Confederate statues, the non-discrimination ordinance. Do you feel like the city is doing enough? Should it do more? Should it do less? And are there any specific issues that you'd like to see the city focus on? I think, yes, we were, we were thrust 
It was thrust upon us, yes, but I think we've always kind of moved, tried to move into a direction of more diversity and equity in our community. I think it's important for a 21st century city, a city like Wilmington, a dynamic city like Wilmington, to have a diverse community. And, and, and I'm talking about diverse economic community where people from, from all walks of life can come in here and make a living. Look, I, come, I came, my mother immigrated to this country in 47 after the, the, the Nazi occupation of Greece. My grandparents came here at a very young age. Um, and just like a lot of immigrants' family, and I have a different journey than a lot of people, they, were, they looked inward. They didn't look outwards. It was a small community, uh, and they looked for other Greeks. They looked for a church here. They looked for— I think it's important to understand that when we're dealing with the 21st century economy with the different job creations out there, when a GE is hiring a nuclear engineer or Corning is hiring an engineer, those people come from all walks of life, and they have to feel comfortable that the city that they're moving into is accepting of them. Can we do more? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I was, I was supp- very supportive of the Black Lives Do Matter sign, and, and I thought that that was important to tell our African-American citizens that their lives do matter because in the aftermath of the George Floyd incident and going all the way back to Tray- Trayvon Martin in 2013 when he was killed, there was, there was a question asked by a lot of African-American citizens, not only in Wilmington but in this country, that said, do our lives really matter? In addition to, you know, the Confederate monuments were a very controversial issue. I've had a lot of passion on that on both sides. I've had a lot of people that said this is their history, this is their heritage, how dare you take these things down. There's another group of people say that they stand for something of oppression, and these people try to keep our folks, our people, our citizens enslaved. And I thought it was time for them to be moved. But I think that we work through those two issues in a way that we didn't, we didn't have a, a, a volatile situation like you had, that happened in Charlottesville or some of the things that we've seen in Richmond. I, I also am a strong believer in the First Amendment, Ben. Uh, my mother and my grandparents came from, an, from, from Greece and Nazi occupation there. Fascism is an ugly thing. And when they take your voice from you where you cannot speak or they throw you out of your house, that's not a good thing. I want people to have their First Amendment rights always protected. All right. Well, closing thoughts. In November, you win re-election. Mm-hmm. You're married again for another two years. Two years passes. Mm-hmm. What would you like to see accomplished in that time? I know it's not a long time. You only have two years as a mayor, and, and you have to work with an elected body. I think one of the things that we are working very hard on is this uh, Rise Together initiative, it is to look at everything through an equity lens, to make sure that what we're doing in one part of town is equal to what we're doing in another part of town. There's always been commentary, you're doing more for this area of town than you're doing for that area of town, and just make sure that we're doing it fairly. I also like to make sure that the land development code that we've passed, that we've put together, is something that is working and is doing well. I think affordable housing is also very high on my, on my plate, and I, and I want to see what we can do to do more partnering with the private sector. I have a lot of relationships in the private sector. A lot of people want to do more affordable housing units. And then lastly is to bring jobs into this community. I think opportunities are critically important. When I grew up here and graduated in the 70s, 80% of my class had to move away because there were no job opportunities. Lastly, this is my hometown. This is the city I grew up in. This is a city that embraced my grandparents and my mother and gave us a, a great living here. I, and, and I feel that I have a personal responsibility from my public service perspective is to give back as much as I can. And I feel like that I have, but I also want more to do. I love this community. I've always loved it. I've never wanted to go anywhere else. Uh, I've loved what we've been able to do with the revitalization efforts of downtown, but I've also loved what we've done all over the town, uh, the parks that we put in, the Cross City Trail that we've worked on. You know, at the end of the day, Ben, I'll tell you, you can get a lot of things done if you don't mind who gets the credit. And this has been a good community, and I, I hope that the, the citizens will give me one more shot at Well, let's leave it right there. Mayor Bill Sappho, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ben. Appreciate it. 
All right. Well, that's just about all the time we have for this special elections edition of the newsroom. And a quick note, we didn't get to public-private partnerships with Mayor Sappho, but you can find an in-depth conversation about the issue and his hopes for affordable housing in the planned Gateway Project on the March 5th edition of the newsroom from earlier this year. We'll have a link to that show on the page, and of course, you can find all the episodes of our show at whqr.org and as a podcast pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts. I want to thank Mayor Bill Sappho and Harper Peterson and our technical team, Ken Campbell and Jonathan Furnell. If you have thoughts or comments about today's program or ideas for a future show after the elections, email us at newsroom at whqr.org. And just a reminder, absentee and one-stop voting are now open through October 30th, and Election Day is November 2nd, so get out and vote. I'm Ben Shockman. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the next edition of The Newsroom.